Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Flavia Barbat, CEO and Editor-in-Chief of Branding Mag, the original branding magazine, an independent journal narrating the discussion around branding with thought leadership from across the globe. I am Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insight to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious about how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Flavia, thank you so much for joining me today, and let's talk Limbic Sparks. Thank you for having me. I am so <laughs> psyched that we're doing this. Flavia, you are a self-described <laughs> island-inclined editor-in-chief, and I need to know where are you today? I'm finally back in Tenerife. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I was gone for a little bit, for a, for a hot second. I have to say I missed it a lot. So I'm in the Canary Islands. And I've been here for the last year and a half, and I have to say, one of the best decisions. Yeah, ever. that was your. That was your. Uh, <laughs> there's a pandemic. I'm going to work from home, and I'm going to call this home. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happened. It happened a little bit post. Well, it depends what you call post. Yes, I don't know. Exactly. It's, you know, it's like a moving target. But um, now, to be honest, I put island inclined because now I feel like I want to try different islands. You know, like I don't want to go to <laughs> continental anything. <laughs> That's amazing. That is, that oh. is absolutely amazing. Uh, we have known each other for a few years now, um, and this is since we were introduced and since you invited me to be a Branding Mag contributor, which I'm so thankful for. Uh, and one thing I've noticed about you is your incredibly high level of ambition and stamina. I'm curious, what motivates you and helps you prioritize your focus? Ooh. So it's a... It's a good question. And I think my my team is also a little bit confused. Uh, sometimes they say that I'm not part of the same spe same species. But I think it's just it's just the way the way I look at the work. And I put the work in air quotes for those who cannot who cannot see me. But I put I put the work in air quotes because really the mentality is that it's not it's not work for me. I'm, you know, what I do on a Monday, I would also do on a Sunday. And I think this is, this is the mentality, you know, I make, I make my days not, not the way I want to in the sense of I don't have calls or I don't have a schedule or, you know, like things like this. No, I, I do, but I very much enjoy it. Um, I, I really am super passionate about the things that I do. I know the effects that it can have and I really just it's not that I have, you know, a super long term strategy or I know every step or something like this. My purpose is very clear. And I always say it's like, you know, I can always see the sun. That's my purpose. And I know maybe the next step forward. But other than that, I stay super fluid. I stay as agile as I possibly can in order to to get there. But, you know, just like the sun gives you so much energy, that's exactly how how I feel about the things that I'm doing. So for me, it's just Every day, I live as much in the present as I possibly can, just trying to do the best in 
sometimes annoyingly so in every little piece <laughs> that we work on. So that's really, that's really what it is. Um, I, I love hearing that how just the, the, the sun, the optimism is what pulls you forward <laughs> and just knowing you can always do something better the next day. That is amazing. Um, you know, every time we speak, uh, one thing that's also clear to me is the strong relationships that you have and and the people you keep close to you and, and how important that is to you. What are some of the values that you look for in the people that you keep close to you? So for me, honesty is a big, big deal in every, in every little piece. For me, it's not, how shall I say it? It's a, uh, if the honesty creates any kind of contradiction or controversy or things like this, I'm completely okay with it. I, I prefer to, you know, say things when they happen in a, in a respectful way. So it's very much combined with respect, but for me, honesty is a big piece. And I think for, for the sake of what we're talking about here today, it definitely translates into everything else that I do this, um, this idea of trying to be as honest and as transparent as possible. I try to do it also with my team. I try, you know, with my clients, with whoever it might be. Um, very much honesty is 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 number one. So brands, right? A big thing mm -hmm. for both of us. So, <laughs> you know, a brand on its own, the name of a brand, you, you hear it, it conveys meaning, it conveys shared associations. So what I would love for you to do is to to describe yourself but only do so by naming a few brands that paint a picture of what you're all about hmm okay uh let's see brands that describe me <clears throat> so if i may take a brand that is not a consumer brand but is definitely a brand and it definitely definitely describes me it's transylvania <laughs> okay 100 percent um, not only because that's where I'm from, but also because I absolutely adore it. And I feel that it really properly <laughs> defines me in many ways. A lot of nature, a lot of color, a lot of history. There's, you know, strong, strong values in that area um, in Romania. And also I just picture it, you know, while for some people, maybe it would seem a little bit, you know, darker, like dark and stormy. For me, it's just this golden auburn light in the night on very old, you know, old stone walls. And for me, when I go to places like that, and there are some other places around the world that that give this, uh, give a like a similar feeling, but they simply speak to me. And 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 really, you'll find me, you know, placing a hand on on one of those old stones or the walls, things like this. And so I think this says quite a bit about about me when it comes to the energy of places, of things, of people, you know, one of the reasons why I'm, I, I am currently living where I'm living is because the energy of the place is very conducive to what I'm trying to, to do. And also feeds me with a lot of energy that I need to, to your point, <laughs> keep going. And I, I appreciate the comment about stamina because I have never really thought about the word stamina, but now it <laughs> seems very, very fitting. So I would definitely say I would definitely say Transylvania just because I think when people hear it, there's like an energetic feeling, even though it might mean different things for different people. There's definitely a lot of power in that as a as a place. And like I said, this combination of nature and and history stone is very much me. Um, 
Now, if I think about consumer brands, uh, it's interesting. There are maybe maybe one or two that come to mind just because they've had uh, a great deal of influence, I would say. One is because it influenced me a lot when I was little. Um, and that's actually KLM, the mm. airline. Yeah. Um, and I think people would be surprised by this because I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a very strong affinity for for KLM these days. I, I'm not entirely sure, uh, and it's not necessarily there for me now. But uh, my experience with them when I was younger, I was traveling to Romania from the U.S. by myself since I was seven. It's a long journey, <laughs> and also back then there weren't so many flights, so I would literally spend uh, the layover in Amsterdam ten hours. Ugh. Okay, when you're a kid. And you're on your own. <laughs> it's a lot. But guess what? KLM had a program for kids. And so they would have stewardesses that would take you. And it is true. Other airlines do this as well. But I haven't, to be honest, I haven't seen anybody do it better. Uh, so this, they had, I don't know, everybody in the staff had such a, had such a, an empathy for the kids, such a like, I want to say a maternal instinct, but it can also, you know, it doesn't have to apply only to women there were also men working there but very much this protective feeling um and i really for me back then when my 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 goal was you know to go back to romania all the time for them to give me that opportunity has remained mm -hmm. in my mind for all these years and just the way i was treated and the fact that i felt safe in just you know completely new environments all the time because of these people that was great branding also, just great branding. So even for that, it was, it represents me quite well. But I think people, people that know me would say that I also have very compassionate maternal instincts. And I really try to take care of everyone as best as I possibly can, putting them in many cases before myself. And I really felt that when I was younger, um, flying with this airline. Um, and so that's, that's definitely one of them. Um, I'm trying to think of one that is more recent <laughs> than that. Um, although the, you know, the fact that that has lasted all these years is still a big, says a lot. Um, ah, I think another one that I like a lot is Audi. Mm. And, and I'll tell you why. I've always admired the fact that they don't seem, and this, again, I'm trying to relate it back to myself. So, um, they don't seem to not care so much, but watch so much what everybody else is doing in their space. I feel like it's, they're very clear as to what they want to do, what they want to make. It's, and you know, this, this, um, this sense of self as a brand, I think gives it a lot of uh, not just authenticity, but it makes it very dependable. Mm. Um, and I, I like this and I would like to, think that others would describe me in a similar in a similar way that you know it's not that I'm not in tune with what's going on outside of myself I very much am but I don't give it as much importance to you know kind of compare myself with others or something like this I really try to just like I said do the best that I can in the thing that I've you know determined is what I want to do and what I want to you know what I want us to be known for in the end and I feel like I feel like Audi does a very similar and does it very well with high quality, I have to say. So I think that would also be a good choice.
That's such a cool set of brands. <laughs> I mean, I just like Transylvania, the, Completely play, random, the energy, like KLM, the nurturing that reminds you of childhood and Audi being the brand that is the uh, go it alone innovator, uh, doesn't care what other people think and high quality, like cool set. I love that. That is so cool. <laughs> it's a difficult so, question, really. It's uh, I, I not known for easy the ones questions. that come. <laughs> So, so let's talk about Branding Mag. Branding Mag is a thought leadership brand that is narrating the discussion among thought leaders in the brand community. That's kind of ambitious. So yeah, we really gonna, didn't give ourselves an easy. No, an easy no well, who likes to take who? You know, we're not people who like to take it easy. So we need a challenge. So that's a pretty big one. So just to set the stage, we're going to talk a lot about branding mag. But first, can you just talk a bit about who's branding mag's audience and and contributors? Sure. So <clears throat> the audience for branding mag, I well. <laughs> It's very widespread. And I think that for those that don't know branding maybe as well as we do, you would assume that it's a little bit more niche. And it's true that that's how it started. You know, it was very much for, and it still is for for marketers, for folks that work in design, for creatives, et cetera. It's still very much that, but one of the one of the one of the goals and the reason why we love branding in general so much is because it applies to in our opinion everyone so the principles of branding when you understand them beyond let's say the commonly understood <laughs> visual identity is 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 very much something that applies to you as a person to a community to um a company and ultimately to a nation, which was very close to our hearts because, you know, Romania is a big, is a big, a big power behind, behind, behind many of the people in the team. A lot of us are Romanian. Um, and so what started, I think, as uh, we've seen this progress over the years, people have understood more and more that the topics that we cover uh, and and the principles of branding that they can learn kind of affect more than just, you know, somebody that works in marketing or somebody that's doing design. And so now you see a lot of C-suite folks that are reading Branding Mag, and you see a lot of people that are also just interested in culture in general. Um, because if you were to ask our, our, you know, our managing editor now, he would tell you that it's impossible to have a conversation about culture without touching branding in some way. And this is a big part of a part of the growth that we've we've kind of experienced ourselves over the years and and so the the audience is wide widespread it tends to be professionals in the space for sure but given the fact that we cover things from content to creative to metrics to strategy marketing etc it's um there's really a lot to a lot to learn and and it goes beyond just the work that people are doing uh you know that day or the next day and so the uh, the audience is, it's a wide breadth. And then also it's it's the same in terms of geography. So the folks are from are from everywhere. Obviously, the English speaking countries are the top because it's in English. This is something that we're thinking about for the future in terms of making it more accessible to to you know to other other regions um, by maybe doing some translating, et cetera. But we haven't really prioritized that just yet. Um, but definitely the English speaking countries are first, but you also have some places that are just hungry for knowledge, 
where even when we don't target them directly, they've just been following us for the last 10 years, like Brazil. Brazil is really in the top 10 almost all the time. And I can't say that we've you know, produced content that is specifically for that region, uh, nor that we've necessarily you know, done extensive targeting for that, uh, for that country. So it's very interesting, interesting to see. And in terms of the contributors, just so I make sure I answer, you know, <laughs> your entire question, in terms of the contributors, I think this is where it gets interesting because uh, to maybe your point earlier about what you know about me, uh, we're definitely quite strict when it comes to contributions. Um, and so even if a contributor comes to us or a potential contributor comes to us and is the CEO of, I don't know, you, you name it, it could be the CEO of Microsoft. Uh, so it wouldn't make a difference. Um, if the content doesn't, you know, kind of reach our, our, our standards or what we want from an ed editorial perspective, then we have no problem saying, you know, this is not a good, this is not a good fit for us. And that's not to say that it's good or bad. That's not that's not the point. But we're you know we're trying to do things a certain way. And to what I said earlier about I prefer honesty. Um, mm -hmm. I want to be able to say you know this is not good for our platform, but it can be for another one with absolutely no hard feelings. This is how I expect. Also, I wish the world would always work this way, because it's you know it's sometimes things just aren't a good fit and that's totally okay. That doesn't mean we have to, you know, sit there and say one is good or one is bad. It's not the point. Um, but we've definitely gotten a reputation for taking this very seriously. And we're actually always trying to up our, our game in that, in that space, even though we already have uh, this reputation, we're constantly trying to improve even more. Um, because at the end of the day, we're not a news platform. So we don't publish, you know, 10 articles a day um, we publish one, you know, five a week. So imagine that each piece needs to be very, very good. <laughs> a lot rides on that one piece. And, and it's not because we don't want to do more. We do, and we probably will. But if you, if you can imagine the, our approach is, is very alternative compared to what people are used to, especially those folks that, for example, work in PR are the ones pitching the articles are the ones writing for, you know, vanity metrics, not because not because it's their fault or anything, but because that's just what is expected. So if we're so alternative and we also don't want to be lenient with our principles in any way, then obviously you need like a much longer time period to get to certain stages of growth. And so we've, we've accepted that from the very beginning that it would be kind of a slow grow. So it's not that, you know, we publish one article a day, uh, you know, necessarily out of out of 100% choice. It's also because it takes time to not only find the contributors that are willing to create this content, but also give the feedback and grow the team and you know still cover our space in the market. And still, and we took all of this and we gave it as much time as it needed. And that's why, you know, Branding Meg has been around for more than 10 years now. Yeah. So, and we're, we're now seeing like the exponential growth. So I can say that it's totally worth it it's totally worth it because it really, you create your space and people come, kind of come to you. I don't know how to say it. You know, you, you similar to a person, you emanate a certain energy and the right, you know, opportunities or people or whatever it may be kind of come and circle around that. And you find your, 
you know, you find your way, but you, you have to give it space to breathe. And we definitely, we definitely did that for a, for a long while. Some people would say (laughs) before that approach. I'm such a big fan of that approach. It's how I think about my own business and it's, it's so important to just do the right thing for yourself and, and, and watch people come as opposed to chasing, chasing the odd metrics or things like that. I I'm curious, you just mentioned 10 years, you've been, uh, editor in chief for 10 years, your CEO, you have a very small team. How would you, you know, how would you describe your role? Like, what do you, what is, what is your role among the team in terms of carrying this torch forward year after year? Uh, yeah, so Branding Mag was started, uh, was founded by somebody other than me. <laughs> I joined maybe when Branding Mag, I think, was two years old or something like this. Um, and I quickly became editor-in-chief after that. Uh, and then I ended up kind of taking taking over. You know, they kind of passed the torch to me, which I took as a, you know, as a really big compliment. Um, and they the guys went on to be very successful in the other things that they were doing. So kudos to them for having even the guts, you know, to, to let it, to let it go in this way. Um, and my role since then has been, I think very much what you would expect from, from, from leadership, you know, I'm there. How shall I say this? Uh, I would say I'm there to keep the balance a little bit, you know, when something seemingly extraordinary happens, I feel like I always need to take a, take not like take it back a little bit but bring it back just a little bit so that nobody feels like we've kind of peaked (laughs) and always try to you know motivate motivate the team to look even further and think that the potential you know that this is that 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 amazing success was absolutely normal you know that they should you know it's not uh, how should I say it's not necessarily like extraordinary because the moment I feel like you go too far on the plus side it's it's just as you know like any kind of excessive thing it's just not good (laughs) it's just not good so I feel like sometimes I try to rein it rein it in a little bit so that we stay focused um and other times obviously I'm there to take the heat (laughs) in many cases I definitely have been you know it's been interesting because I was very young when I started so in many cases I'm you know uh, kind of I, I feel responsible for those that are older than me that have families that have this that have that and so it's definitely been it's definitely been uh, an emotional journey in in this case uh but you know that's in my opinion that's that's i think the core part of of being a leader is to be that very how should i say it? not stable in the sense that you're, it's stable but not cold you know you have to be the stable point that everybody can count on but also be very, you know, empathetic mm-hmm. <laughs> for everybody else. Being a small team, it's it's hard not to be. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, you know, I think I do what most editors, editor in chief, editors in chief, editors in chief do. Um, you know, it's uh, I I simply try to try to outline the direction for everybody have them understand what we can or cannot do, what we will or will not do. Um, and at the very foundation of it is that communicate the values by which we, by which we operate for sure. Yeah. And always remind, always remind everybody of those by first and foremost enacting them myself. 
Uh, you know, yeah. you, you just touched on exactly where I wanted to go next, which is understanding the editorial values and priorities that you that you stand behind for the publication and where, where how you think about that. Yeah, so for us, for us, it's very much about the how, you know, we want we want contributors to be open about how they do things, because even just a few years ago, now let's say it's becoming a little bit, I can see that that there's some difference, you know, some some growth has occurred in, in this mindset. But man, I remember I remember at the beginning it was so difficult to get contributors to say how they do things because they were so afraid of people copying them. And they wouldn't understand this idea of no, you know, if you help others and show people how to do things, you'll be you know, your value can only increase to others. And you don't have to, you know, not everybody has to become your client. <laughs> There's space for, for all of us, you know, to, to play. And people will come to work with you because they consider you somebody of value in, in what you're saying. But you you got to be open about, about, about how you do things. Um, and so this is a very big piece for us is that it needs to be practical. It's not about, for us, it's not, and this is why I say we're not, you know, very news it's not like a news publication because we're not here to, how shall I say, report on the things of the day. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a very good example. You know, some, uh, some contributors and their, their organizations will complete some kind of uh, research. They'll do a study, they'll do a research, they'll do something like this. And what often happens is that they write a piece that talks about the research or the results. For me, it doesn't, for me, that's not as valuable as a, another approach, which would be you, the thought leader, are the center of every article that you write. It's you and the way that you think and what you want to say and what you want to be known for. Then you can use research studies, et cetera, to kind of uh, support what you're what you're telling the world because people will automatically kind of value things more if you give them something to back it up it doesn't you know it's it's the same with with case studies or the projects that they're working on you know we try to tell contributors not to be self-promotional but that's because we're trying to communicate to them like don't make the content about the project that you're working on no think about what you want to say think about yourself as the brand that this that this you know, cadence of contributions is is representing and then use the stuff that you've done or are doing as supporting material of that. That's totally fine. For me, that's not, you know, it's almost to say like there's a difference between promoting yourself as a thought leader and promoting the organization that you work for. And I, I ironically, ironically, by creating more value for yourself as a thought leader, even the organizations that you work for benefit. So this is also something that the organizations need to, like the actual businesses behind these contributors need to understand is that, you know, you should be supporting as much as possible the people that are open and want to write and, and speak about how what they believe. Not thinking like, oh, but what if, you know, I invest so much in this person and then a year from now they quit or something like this. No, no, no. You can like literally scratch that concept from your mind and everybody will benefit. But it has to be like a very collaborative environment, you know, everything just yeah. needs to be a little bit more fair and authentic and less, I don't know, less like analyzed. It's just over analyzed. It's the, 
And so these, this, this how is very important for us. Putting the thought leader first is very important for us. Um, and the collaborative, you know, we're our, our contributors, we choose them carefully and we kind of have a little bit of a, um, we've, we've kind of naturally produced a way of, of, you know, analyzing or deciding which ones are, are, you know, fit and which ones don't in terms of contributors. Um, also because they must collaborate with us. You know, it's not like the PR agency can just send me an article and I will immediately publish it. That's not the relationship that we have. It's we take the time to give feedback because we work in this space. We do the client work around thought leadership and content and things like this. So we're giving our time to help and to, to teach everything that I've just told you, you know, this entire approach to try to teach it back to the contributors so that ultimately same conclusion so that it's better for everybody. So we also value contributors very much by how open and willing they are to, to listen and collaborate with us. If in the end it doesn't work again, I repeat myself, like, it's okay. We don't have to be partners, (laughs) you know, like it's really okay. But when it works, it's absolutely wonderful and we get so much feedback about how you know how thankful they are that we've taken the time having worked with you on so many articles and 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 things we've done together the 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 sharing of information the feedback the the collaborative nature of how to make this thing great that we're talking about is always at the epicenter and uh, you know i i felt it i've seen my my content improve as a result so I thank you for that. I want to ask a, another question about the editorial focus areas. And are there particular editorial focus areas that you are always running down or how, and how do you think about uh, evolving and new editorial focus areas as you go? Okay. When something really doesn't relate to branding Meg, we will know it. <laughs> you know, there are some cases in, in which it really doesn't relate and it's just, you know, it makes no sense. So uh, but in terms of in terms of focus areas, we we support the contributors in what they want to talk about, you know, because we always get this question. We always get the question of, oh, do you have an editorial calendar or, you know, do you have some recommendations of what I can cover next or. And yes, sometimes we definitely do. But what we ask the contributors to do, and you know this, you know this well, what we ask them to do is to, to choose a theme that we that we kind of agree on together, but they choose a theme within the sphere of branding, which again is much wider than people expect. So we kind of have a mind map of branding and we're constantly filling in different holes, but we've never been like extremely proactive about filling in certain bits and pieces. It's only now that we're doing that because of the growth. Like I said, now we're really trying to fill in all of the all of the all of the spaces within this mind map. But up until now, really, it's been very much the contributors that have come to us that have appeared kind of before us. And we ask them to choose a theme because like a traditional columnist for a newspaper, people will come back to you, you know, for a specific contributor that they know talks about a specific topic. So it's very conducive to both sides, to both sides to to approach it this way. So you and I have talked a lot about and you mentioned it earlier, this this long relationship that you want to build and the idea of doing things right over the long haul and attracting the audience and growing the audience and the slow road is the way you like to think about this versus a lot of what's going on right now where there is so much clickbait and there's so many 
metrics being chased for short-term social media success. Can you talk about the difference between how Branding Mag approaches editorial marketing uh, versus those who care more about those short-term metrics? Yeah, so I think it's very much a parallel to what you see what you see on the site. You know, we have we have long form articles and we've been sticking to long form articles since I think 2016. So the way don't get me wrong, the way Branding Mag started was we also had the news pieces. Yeah, so we had like the news content about what the new what I don't know what Brand X did today with uh some campaign. And uh, around, I think around 2016 or so, we decided to go long form only, which ironically was at the same, you know, probably around the same time when everybody was saying, ah, shorter is better. <laughs> you know, people don't have time. They don't have attention spans. They don't have this. They don't have that. Um, I would, uh, based on my experience, it's not entirely true. I I think there is just so much, there's so much content being created that this is actually what's giving people, you know, it's almost like a vicious, vicious circle. You know, you give, you don't take the time to create quality content. So the content is of lesser quality. Therefore, the value of it goes down. Therefore, me as a user, I consume it, but it doesn't have a lasting effect. Hence, my need to go to the next piece of content that I want to consume. So I'm just going like the, you know, I'm just going in a, in a vicious circle constantly. What we've seen is quite the opposite. And it's the same with what we call editorial marketing, which is what we kind of work with with our partners and with with clients for as well, is this idea of if you provide useful, very useful content, even in a social media post, you know, useful. If you provide something useful that is honest, that is wise, that is, you know, people can automatically, you know, People are not silly. They they can feel the time that you spent <laughs> to create the things. They feel the quality. And 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 guess and guess what? You know, yeah, maybe you'll reach only, I don't know, some percentage of the people that you would have reached if you decided to do, I don't know, a completely different approach. Okay, so maybe the vanity metrics are a little bit lower, but I would rather have one hundred percent of that fifty percent value me highly and use the stuff that I've provided for them and, you know, learn from it and, and build that longer lasting relationship because otherwise it's exactly like the slow grow, you know, they'll go as quickly as they came or you'll fall as quickly as you rose. You know, this is kind of my mentality that maybe has kind of seeped into, (laughs) into branding Megan, into the way we, into the way we do things. So for us, it's always about building like a very coherent content ecosystem where there's a a very thoughtful strategy behind why you create every piece of content that you create. Just like we do for Branding Mag, we have taken that and with editorial marketing, we kind of apply it to to brands, to like B2B brands, for example, it works very well. So let me get this straight. So Branding Mag is a thought leader among thought leaders in the branding space, and you're running it like a brand that cares about building relationships with people as opposed to short-term transactions. So you're living your values as a brand as you present brand content to brand leaders. 
Yeah, I'm trying to. Fascinating. <laughs> no surprise, for, but like in, putting that all together, you're like, you're, you're convinced you're living the values of how brands build long-term relationships with customers, the way you're building long-term relationships with your audience, with, with quality and, and, and great experiences. And you know what the beauty of that is, is that also with clients, it's the same, you know, so it's, it's like a, in this case, it's a virtuous, <laughs> it's a virtuous cycle yeah. for us. It takes, but yes, it takes more patience, more time, more this. It's it's true, but like I said, now that we've we've been around long enough, that people maybe will believe me more when I say that it really works. <laughs> it really does, and you get to you know you get to a point ten years later when you're when you realize, man, I'm I'm doing things exactly the way I wanted to, and producing great results okay it's not you know it's not like the highest possible ever but in my opinion that wouldn't make me happier <laughs> if I wasn't if I wasn't if I wasn't you know doing doing things the way the way I wanted to wow. and I don't know for us it for us it works and I'm, I'm sure it would work for many others as well but it's so, it's, so it's hard to go against many of the things that you hear because you're very we're also very much bombarded with a an opposing mentality many many times during the day so it's not you know it's not it's not easy it, it's interesting how you talk about an opposing mentality because so much of what I believe in and what this podcast is about and what my articles are about is building relationships with emotional insight and all the evidence is there, but still there are so many brands out there that are not doing it. So, so why do you believe, given your perspective, why do you believe that some brands are still neglecting that power of emotion and emotional insights when it comes to creating relationships with customers and growing their business? If I was to answer that, honestly, I think you know how you know how you hear a lot of a lot of folks that work in that work in branding i think a lot of them will say that brands are like people in many ways um there are a lot of parallels that you can see in my opinion just like as a person if i don't understand myself properly on an emotional level then i can't possibly understand those around me and I feel that this is also very true for a lot of organizations is that, you know, insights are fantastic, but I think not enough time is spent looking inward and understanding that by kind of raising the emotional, you know, coefficient of the organization from inside, they don't understand that that will manifest itself outwards. And that you almost like do a lot of the work naturally, um, you know, rather than kind of looking only outside and saying, okay, how can I adapt myself to better fit this audience, so to speak? For me, it's always been on the contrary, you know, what is it that I want, that we want to be, and I need to have a very clear understanding of those values and have that emotional level of understanding first and foremost, and only then can I be comfortable with whatever I may choose to do on the outside. 
I don't know if that completely makes it sense. Does, that's why does. I was trying to give the parallel of a human being because I think oh. it's very similar in that way. And so many brands spend so much time looking outwards and there's just so much energy inside that is just, I don't know. You try yeah. to just kind of like guide it in whatever direction the trends or the new CMO or the new CEO or whatever it might be takes it rather than letting the organization as a living organism, you know, like as a living brand, so to speak, you know, fuel itself in many ways, not to, not to say that it's, it's not important to do the research and the insights and stuff like that. Those are very important, but I think that you give yourself so much more work to do if that's where you start rather than if you would start internally first, get a very good sense of that, empower people to understand that better and then pair that with whatever bits and pieces you may be needing from the outside to just decide where you want to play and how, but don't let the outside kind of decide for you. What are the best ways for brands to go about that and create those limbic sparks, those moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire? Yeah, this is the, <laughs> this is the interesting, this is the interesting part because I don't think there is, I don't think there is only, only one, one, one answer. Um, but, but to be honest, when I, when I hear, when I hear you ask me that question, even I have the immediate tendency to think of how does a brand better connect with consumers? You see, like even I, my immediate tendency is to think from, from the brand outwards. And I would just, reiterate the concept of looking inwards mm -hmm. and the idea is that there also need to be limbic sparks between the brand and the people that are inside of it including employees partners etc these all kind of because these are in my opinion like where it all begins probably employees number one but they need to have brand desire first and foremost before anybody else in my opinion and I think I think flipping that on its head a little bit, and I can see that even, like I said, even I have the tendency to think of it the other way. Because imagine that this is what you know. This is the this is the con this is the way it's being thought of around us. So it's it's hard to it's. But sometimes, if you see if you reframe the question, and if you just flip it on its head, even just for fun, you know, even if it doesn't give you the right answer, it'll still just give you like that little bit of of space to play and to maybe do things a tad bit different than than everybody else and in the quote-unquote you know sea of sameness that we're in nowadays um sometimes that little bit makes all the difference really um this, if you sustain it this is why you and i get along so well <laughs> <laughs> we are definitely seeing eye to eye on all of this as a brand Good, i'm glad i was like it. i hope i answered i was like oh, i hope i answered that question you, yeah, amazingly. <laughs> as, Flavia, as a brand leader, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew years ago? Something that perhaps others can learn from? <laughs> that it would work. No, I'm joking. <laughs> then it wouldn't have been probably so fun. No, I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything from beforehand. No, I think it would have changed everything if I knew, if I knew more, you know? Even, even because my first, my first thing, my first thought is, you know, something like that maybe I could have, you know, that I would, would have been able to reach the same point without 
you know, stressing myself so much because like I said, I'm quite emotional. So it was, uh, as you, as you get older, you learn, I think a little bit more how to hone those skills. If you choose to focus, focus on it. Okay. It doesn't happen to everybody, but <laughs> if you choose to focus on that, you can, you know, you, you can learn how to better manage, but, but I think even that was part of the learning process, you know, in order for me to realize that I need to focus a little bit on how, how I, how I treat myself because it's, it's easy to fall into, into what I would say is the entrepreneurial trap. And this is all to say, this is all to say that I really don't want to tell myself from many years ago, anything really, I'm totally okay with, with the way things are and happened. And I'm really just at peace. Most, most of the time. I love it. I, I am so glad we did this, Flavia. Thank you so much for joining me today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad we got to do this. Yes, me as well. For more, go to limbicsparks.com. <laughs>